0: Listen up all you New York fans, veteran New York sports talk host John Dostromsky gives his unique take on all the big stories in the Big Apple and beyond, including guest conversations, gambling picks and reactions from you, the listener. Check out New York, New York with John Dostromsky on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved QuickBets And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time of participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app.
0: Basketball
2: is very good. Welcome to Ringer NBA University. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining us today is the Ringer's Jay Kyle Mann and Jonathan Sharks. What's up, guys?
0: Hey, man. Uh, good to be back, obviously. Uh, thanks for holding down the four without me the last few months. Um, As I'm sure most of our listeners know, I was uh, diagnosed with cancer, going through chemotherapy right now. And I just really wanted to thank everyone who, it was really overwhelming the amount of like support and love I just got, not just from people I knew, but just like from like complete strangers. It was just really kind of touching. I know my wife, it was great for me and my wife. People have been like sending us food, helping us out with stuff. It's just been awesome. So I just wanted to say that up top is just we really appreciate all the love and support that we've gotten in this process.
2: Yeah, Charles, I've been reading your your wife's blog at caringbridge.org, um, where they can find a whole bunch of information about your family situation now. And I don't know, like my mom and I have been reading that. I I check it every couple of days to see if there's a new update. And I don't know, it's just been it's been nice to read that and get updates. You you seem to have the best possible support around you, and um. Yeah, i'm just sending the best to you and melissa and your whole family man
0: yeah thanks
3: yeah and i i don't know if you heard me what i said about uh you know Verrier said that he, he would have to convince you know their audience to listen to Oh you no, know yeah I heard yeah, that. <laughs> yeah yeah i was just like yeah man i mean we'll we'll gladly talk about uh chumo Kiki anytime you want just come on here yeah we <laughs> miss talking about it. yeah i, I like Sharks Sharks is willing to go as in the weeds as you want to go. And that's like he's just one of you're one of my favorite people to talk basketball with. And uh, you know, I hope uh, we can keep your energy level at a point where you you want you can keep doing it. Yeah. So glad to have you back, man. Thanks,
0: man. I don't know what my schedule is going to be, but I'll come in when I can. I've definitely missed talking hoops with you guys. It's it's a lot. A lot of stuff has happened. And then obviously things happened last night. It's fun to get back into it. We're super
2: happy to have you back on today, Charks. Uh, We're going to be talking about the best young cores in the NBA playoffs. But first, we do want to hit on those games that happened last night that you mentioned Sharks Tatum dropped 50 points Celtics beat the Wizards to take the 7 seed which means they're going to have a first round matchup against the 2 seeded Nets and the Pacers beat the Hornets 144 to 117 which means LaMelo season is over Charlotte's season is over Gordon Hayward is not coming back and that Indiana and Washington will play on Thursday Charks, from what we saw in last night's game, after that Celtics-Wizards game especially, what stood out to me was Scott Brooks saying Tatum is going to be an MVP soon. Um, What's your takeaway from what Scott
0: Brooks said and just that
2: overall performance that we saw from Tatum?
0: I mean, he was obviously the best player, I guess, the whole night, really. I mean, the first thing that jumped out is, like, Washington's lack of size in the perimeter. And they're playing playing Raul Neto as a starting three-man against Jason Tatum. It's just crazy, you know? And if your best player is six foot eight and their best player is six foot three, you're going to have the advantage right off the top. And I can see where Brooks is coming from. And I just think what's so exciting if you're a Celtics fan is just there's so much room for him to still get better. Like that's what stood out to me is I just think with Tatum, it's all about passing. We know he can score whatever he wants, like the scoring. And that's a pretty normal progression for young players. You come into the league, you want to score points. But it's like, if you want to make your teammates better, it's passing. And what what I noticed in that game was like, I felt like he didn't always trust his teammates and possibly for good reason. The team's pretty thin right now. And there was a couple of plays where he gets to the rim. There's two or three guys. It's just like, make the pass to the open shooter. I just think as Boston gets more shooting around Tatum and he can increase his assist total, like that's what I'm going to watch for Boston for the next two, three years. I feel like as Tatum's assists go up, the whole team gets better and then two is as it becomes more as it can be if it can become more of a point forward cuz that's the thing right if you want to win the mvp you got to pass score and pass scoring's not enough anymore to be like the best player you've got to set your teammates up too and i think for boston obviously it's a down year but what i'll be watching for them going forward is like if he can get to like six assists a game seven assists a game i think that changes the whole lineup the look of the celtics
3: yeah if he can get into that 5 6 you know, goodness, seven range of, of assists. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. Like the game has evolved from, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the way that, you know, the rules police, you know, defensive concepts. Like I, I think in the past in the ISO era, you could kind of get away with, you know, volume shooting. I mean, but I don't, I, some of these things are eternally true. Like the best players could score and, and flip their gravity and, and pass the ball. But I think what's interesting for Tatum is just that I think. We've had this cycle where the joke got so saturated that we stopped. We were like, "It's cliche to talk about his age." I'm gonna, I'm gonna double circle back here and talk about his age, guys. He's 22. I mean, it's like it's really absurd. Now, I, I was thinking earlier while while you were saying all that, like, can you think of like the the shot making polish and talent at 22 at that size? Man, I I can't really remember. I'm trying to it's it's a very short list of guys at 22 that could could dominate a game with shot making of that difficulty um I mean Kobe comes to mind uh, there's there's it's it's a short list what do you think about that
2: I mean, it's amazing to see the way he's added layers to his game every single season of his life, you know, going back to high school. And for him at our only 22 years old, you know, this season, and he turned 23 in March um, to be doing this. It's rare. Like I, I can't I, I'm not as great, you know, off the top of my dome with history um, as you might be, Kyle. But I, I can't think of anybody really with his frame and size and the broad shoulders that he has at his age i mean it's part partially the physical aspect with him too and that's what makes him so hard to defend as well you know is with that size and frame he has and i do think to your point sharks with the playmaking ability he's made progress there in the nba since he was at duke where sometimes you know it felt like he wasn't much of a passer he's gotten way better in that area and that to me you know touches on what scott brooks was hitting there is that this is a guy who, as great as he is at age 22 now, just turned 23. There's still so much room for him to get better in terms of making guys better. That's the number one thing. When you you know listen to Celtics fans talk about the team this year, the young guys got better. Jalen Brown got way better. You know, even some of the rook- younger guys, Robert Williams, and some of the rookies, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Nesmith, who we'll talk about later, got better. The number one thing you hear from Celtics fans is they want to see Tatum become somebody who makes everybody around him better all the time. And I think to your point, Sharks, that is the next area for him to develop. And it wouldn't shock me based off everything we've seen the first four seasons of his career if it happens over
0: the next four. Well, it's funny. You just talked about guys you remember with that size. who can score that easily at that young age. There's a uh, seven foot alien who plays for Brooklyn. And oh, yeah. We'll see say. in the next round. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, Tatum, if you look at the East, he's going to have Giannis to go through, KD to go through. And I think that's too where playmaking is going to be important because he can't just force the ball on KD and Giannis. I'm so much bigger than him. He has to play a very well rounded game to kind of make up for not being a seven foot alien, basically.
2: Yeah, and, and like with KD, also nobody like him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even even when he did come in, I mean, like people, you know, too skinny, couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't lift. It was only what? How much did KD weigh as a rookie? Uh,
3: he what had we? never lifted, right? He like yeah, he, couldn't never lift he famously the bar.
0: couldn't lift the bar one time. Yeah,
2: I
3: couldn't lift the or whatever. Bar. I couldn't lift the bar in like freshman conditioning and varsity, and I got I got rode. I don't know how you make it all the way to I the. I can't col- lift the
0: bar now, man. Sure. <laughs> Katie
2: was after COVID.
3: T- I couldn't. I'm pretty sure.
2: Katie was 212 pounds as a rookie. Two twelve At seven feet, and now he weighs 240. You know, dude. I mean, that's wild,
3: dude. I well, you being a Texas person, I don't know if you would, had. had 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 this happen, but have you all seen KD in person, like, stood next to him before? Have you all... Has that happened for you all? Um,
0: I think I've seen him... I've been close enough to game to see his size, but never in person.
3: KOC, right before we met in person at the Barclays, I'll never forget this. I had never stood next to him in person. There's some NBA players, I mean, like, I've stood next to, like, six, seven, six, eight guys before, played against a few... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, we were standing there in the tunnel, right before I met KOC, I'll never forget this, and kd just casually walked by by himself just in like you know joggers and like athleisure i was just like paralyzed by how like i i was just really struck by how huge he is like uh just that's just a little anecdote there but i mean in terms of uh yeah it's it's interesting to me one last thing on tatum is that like you can kind of see a lot of like the footwork polish There's like overlap between him and Beal, like like Tatum is almost just like a six eight version of Beal in some ways, like and I guess it makes sense because, you know, they've known each other forever. I'm sure they've borrowed and given each other stuff, and then they work out with the same guy. Um, All that stuff, it's interesting to me.
2: And Kyle, that uh, meeting in New York, we had that great dinner at Thursday Kitchen. the korean restaurant uh i believe it was near the village something like that it was really really delicious great food there yeah when Thursday kevin didn't there.
3: recognize the people from stranger things that was yeah, the classic. That's, that's night.
0: That. Wow. yeah that's
2: right yeah we, yeah.
3: we, we saw hey, which some one's the whole
0: cast or like one of the two stars
3: no it was um the the the, the girl jonathan and i forget the other girl's name the two the, the older characters well they're certainly. not
0: quite as big a deal so i guess i get that like if yeah. you know who millie brown was that'd be kind of worse that would do yeah she, she wasn't been. there i forget no. i don't even know I, <laughs> I'm not good with faces, but...
3: With was like, faces. I think they're famous. I was like... KOC's uh, like,
0: yeah. like, I'm online. I used to do avatars. Faces, I do <laughs> I mean,
2: it's kind of true that the digital world is really overcoming the real real world in some ways. But, um, I mean, look at
0: your beautiful <laughs> background, KFC. Speaking of
2: that, <laughs> thank you. I, yeah,
0: I got the uh, wars zone background. You out
2: here skiing right now? Is that what's yeah. going on? I'm in, I'm in Verdansk uh, with my Zoom. Sharks yeah. looks yes. like
3: a world series of poker guy right now. He's got the big jacket and the cool hat, and then he's got yeah. his playing cards. He's just kind of fidgeting yeah. with It's yeah, Chark- well.
2: 1989 NBA final set. I love it, Sharks. Uh, there you go. And, also, last night, we did see Charlotte's season end in that big loss, 144 to 117 to the Indiana Pacers. What's on your mind as we you know, look back on the season that the Hornets had, Sharks? Well, I mean, what stood out to me,
0: I mean, this game was obviously not really much yeah. to talk about. The one guy pretty, who played decently enough was Miles Bridges. I think that's kind of been the underplayed story of this year is how much he's gotten better this season. I look at the Hornets going forward, I just feel like He's probably there, if you don't count Hayward he's so much older, of their young core, I would say Bridges is clearly the number two best player. I mean, look at a guy, 6'6, 230. Obviously, we know the dunks, but then he also can do, he has this year he shot 50, 40, 86. Mm. And like there's the versatility he has. Like there was a couple plays where he caught the ball in the dunker spot and just dunked on people. He's the he can be the pick and roll ball handler. Not that great at that yet but the role man making four on three passes, getting out and running, rebounding. They had him guarding Malcolm Brogdon. And I just feel like the next step for the Hornets is they've got to get more out of keep growing his game. Like him and LaMelo had a great chemistry off the bench. I think my thought is like, if you're Charlotte, I've got to make sure this guy plays a lot more next year. I got to start him. It's kind of a rough positionally to get him on the floor, but I think he's gotten to the point now where he's so good. He's got to start. He's just, that talented a player and he's still really young
3: yeah i think you you made a good point about like the four on three thing is that like when you don't have spacing you're just not going to be in it as many four on threes and two you know two on ones etc but it's like i the the thing that charlotte did in the offseason was add scoring playmaking punch and i think that that really helped miles a lot um so yeah i he's his his passing got a lot better this year, and it's kind of the thing. It's like the chicken egg thing. It's like did he get better because of the spacing improvements? Or I'm sure it's a little bit of both. But uh, he's a young player with a lot of upside defensively too. I, I really like him on that side of the ball. His, his potential there.
2: I read some stuff from you know on Twitter about last night's games not being really that fun to watch. I mean, it's they, fun to watch Tatum drop fifty, but like they weren't great, you know, competitive games. Um, you know, and people like criticize the playing tournament for that, and I I, I feel like. The, the play-in tournament. First of all, we might get an epic game tonight with Lakers, Warriors, or with Grizzly Spurs. We could. The play-in tournament isn't just about like the games that we watched this week. It's about what happened the past two to three weeks, right? Like that. That's what what the benefit of the play-in tournament was is to make more regular season games exciting. However, one thought that was on my mind this morning that I wanted to pass on to you guys was, you know, we saw the the Clippers tank their last two games to avoid the Lakers in the first round, which was the smart thing to do, right? It was a smart thing to do to go from the three, four, three seed to the four seed to potentially avoid LA. Um, But I'm curious about this. Do you think that the NBA, the next thing that needs to change in terms of tournaments, in terms of seating is that if you allow the top four seeds in each conference to draft their first round opponent, do you think in that case you could have a situation in which even all the top teams are trying to win all these games at the end of the regular season so they can draft their opponent instead of just having it chosen for them? Like, is that the next step, Kyle?
3: Man, that would be really funny. There's There's been discussion about this with, uh, with, with the college tournament, uh, like that the oh. number one seeds could pick, you know, what region they go in and pick their two seed, et cetera. There is that, el- that that little, like, FU element that comes into it. Like, oh, you picked us. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's fun. That's fun. I, I think it's funny. Like, I was watching a Chris Paul interview about, like, it's really just a get them get early, get them later question. Like, and I agree with what a lot of people have said with the Clippers, where, where it's like, it probably makes more sense to get them early. And I don't know if, like, the Clippers yeah. – and th- there is this inevitable thing of, like, judging your season on how far you go that is inescapable. Like – you know, you're going to feel a lot better whether no matter what your path is, you're going to feel better and you're going to be reductive about it years later where you say we were a Western Conference Finals team, whereas, you know, the path might have been different if you had like a harder. I know that happened to the Rockets in, a few years ago where they were like in the 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 bubble of death, whatever that little uh, cluster of they teams was. They played the
0: Warriors in the second round. Instead of That's, the
3: what yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was. I I think that'd be pretty funny. Um, Sharks, what do you think?
0: You want to guess? You probably can figure this out. How many times the Clippers have made the conference finals in the history of their franchise? Uh,
3: I would say zero. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So to
0: me, I get it, man. Like, I get get them early, but also conference finals, if it happened in 40, 50 years, it's worth doing. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I get it. And I guess I can see the appeal of, like, picking seeds, but I also feel like the lower seeds have a disadvantage anyways. Right? So it's hard to... Even further disadvantage the bands of lower seeds in these setups by making them get the worst matchups.
2: Definitely, like, that's the downside of doing it. And the other part I've heard is that, like, even if you incentivize the top teams to win to get the selection, you know, of those teams, some people look at that as like, "Well, you're giving the lower seeded teams more ammo, and we don't want to give them that edge." <laughs> I think that's silly. I, 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 I personally don't buy that. Reasoning at all. I would love that. I would want to see the pressure on those teams. I think it would make it so freaking fun. And plus, you know, like, you'd have teams competing always to win. Like, it, it always seems to be about winning, winning, winning as much as possible. You know, and uh, that would make the end of the season better, too. That was just the last thought I had about that.
3: There's something off-puttingly weak about that, you know? I, like, about the just, yeah. like, avoiding. I don't know what it is. It's it's kind of that, like, Michael Jordan generation mentality of just, like, no, never, ever, ch- like, be selective. Just go through whoever you got. I, I had one thought on the, the tournament thing. Because I, I was thinking about, like, The playing tournament on paper, you think about professional basketball players at this level in a one-game scenario. You think, oh, man, anything could happen. But, like, this week, I've kind of been thinking about it. I'm like, if you took players of this level and put them in a one-game tournament like this, is it necessarily true that there would be the variability that we see at the college level? And why or why not? You know, because, like, last night's game, when they kind of fizzled in terms of a product, you know, for a lot of different reasons, I thought the broadcasts were pretty pretty tough oh, to
2: m- mixing up uh shemi ogilay <laughs> and marcus smart Aaron I just, marcus smart.
3: <laughs> the marv thing <laughs> pains for C web um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna go there but yeah i just like i don't know what do you, do you think that i guess just as a, a quick thought experiment do you think that if we had a tournament like that that upsets would be more or less likely I like think in, they'd still be more likely.
2: Any team can win on any given night, and like you, I, to your point, like you're you're saying like the the best players will lock in completely. They'll have their teams locked in. However, you know we also just see teams have just hot shooting nights. Like it, it can happen on any particular night, and I, I think that's what's going to make some of these games tonight so interesting with Lakers Warriors, especially the Lakers have the advantage. The Lakers, you know, have defeated the Warriors, you know, recently. Um, they have the ability to smother Stephen Curry. But what if Andrew Wiggins shoots six for nine from three and and Mulder <laughs> hits four or three? I mean, it can happen. It can happen. So I, I think it increases the likelihood of those those crazy upsets, Kyle. Do you have any thoughts on that, Sharks?
0: Oh, I think I'll be curious tonight, like in terms of the one-game scenario, like how much the Lakers game plan? Because, you know, obviously in the series, you match up as the series goes on. Will they play Davis the five right away? Because to me, that's the obvious matchup yeah. for the Warriors because they're going to be downsizing. But then you have your three centers. Do you go away from Drummond the first day of the playoffs? That's tough, also. So that'll be something to watch in that game tonight in terms of the one game versus the series.
3: Yeah, for sure. People talk about the Steph. I know we're, we're the young. I've I've said this a hundred times, but I know people always talk about Steph like he's like a pound the ball and like you got to make him get rid of it type. And that is that is the genius of Steph Curry is that like that's not going to be what he's going to do. It's like he's so willing to get rid of it early and get it back. That's why he's so maddening to defend. So I, I don't know. He, If you want to talk about like volatility of outcome in a given scenario, Steph Curry is the ultimate weapon in that sense, I think.
2: Charks, I think the last pod you were on was before the James Wiseman injury. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on the Warriors downsizing and the way in which that has positively impacted their play on both ends of the floor because they've just been a dominant force. Um, and I, I personally, I mean, I wouldn't pick them in a series against the Jazz or the Suns, but with the way they're playing, I feel like they can make that insanely
0: competitive. Um, how, what are your general thoughts on the Warriors right now and where they're at? I mean, the numbers, are I can't remember exactly what they are, but they're pretty striking. If you look at Steph and Wiseman, when Steph is with Wiseman versus off Wiseman, again, it's just like he's a 19-year-old with limited game experience in basketball like you, who doesn't fit their system at all. He makes a lot of young guy mistakes on defense. He's not a ball mover or a shooter, really. So it's just tough to fit him into that system. That system requires such elite passing from your big, such a, like Looney and Draymond are all are field players. Weisman's all athleticism right now. So it's, I was not surprised that they got better when he went out. I think for the Warriors, what I'm curious about is to see those non-Steph, non-Draymond minutes, right? So tonight, tonight's game, the Lakers can play LeBron by himself and they can play Davis and Schroeder and the Warriors can't really split up Steph and Draymond. So that means they got to play, I don't know, Jordan Poole in those like eight minutes when Steph's not on the floor. And that's where you're not, we're missing clay becomes so important to this team. Because, yes, yeah, Steph can get 45, but ID can get 70. You know, who's the second scorer going to be? It's going to be Wiggins or Poole, probably. One of those two guys got to step up. Jordan Poole's been pretty good.
3: swaggy Poole. <laughs> he has
0: been, but it's a whole different level tonight. Like, the Hornets found out last night with the playoffs. Like, it's a whole different level.
3: It is a different game. It is, it's interesting, too. I'm, when I was on, um, I was on Chris Ryan's pod a, like a month ago, I guess. And we were just talking about how it is interesting. How, if you look at the on off numbers, like Steph and Draymond are basically, I call them like an offensive binary start. <laughs> like they basically just are just these, this tightly wound together thing. It's like two, two halves of a whole, but um, yeah, it's tough for the warriors. And we even saw that against the Grizzlies, how perilous it can get for them. Like when they have these stretches where it's like, if those guys aren't, they they're very up and down in terms of their production. And um, it's it's hard when you can't. It's hard to be a good playoff team when you can't stagger your 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 minutes, like you were saying, Sharks. Like the Warriors don't have that luxury, and that's that's really tough.
2: One surprising stat that I just looked up, Sharks, during this you know 19 game run in which you know since the Wiseman got injured, that the Warriors have dominated. The Warriors outscore teams by 10.5 points per 100 possessions with Steph on the floor. They're also outscoring teams by. Four points per 100 possessions when he's off the court. And, wow. like, small sample, they face some bad teams along the way. I was going to say, where there's some
3: big numbers in there, spiking that. Yes.
2: Well, yeah, and, like, yeah, exactly. It's also just the regular season, and the playoffs will be a totally different monster when LeBron might be on the court facing them. But I'm, sh- I'm shocked to see I that. Am I am, too. I'm surprising. shocked to see that. And, by the way, there are minus .2 when Draymond is off the court compared to a plus 12.6 when he was on the court during the stretch. Um, Yeah, that's going to be a difficulty for the Warriors in this series, uh, in this game against the Lakers, and definitely in the series, if they were to advance against the Jazz, or the Suns. I hope we get to see that. I hope both the Lakers and the Warriors
0: advance. No offense to the Grizzlies or Spurs, but... Uh, <laughs> no, take offense. This is your ammo. There's no picking teams, so KOC just gave you all the ammo. Print yeah. out
3: the dartboard, and here it is, folks. KOC uh, uh, hates it. He hates the Riverwalk. He told me that off air. He hates, he
0: hates small <laughs> markets.
2: He, he told me all, he all hates the above. Beale and, Street and uh, Chicken. And Chase Serrano.
3: Oh, wow. Well, we knew oh, that. that.
0: That's a given.
2: Yeah, yeah that, we knew that. that. <laughs> so let's uh let's move on though to our main topic today and that's youth in the nba playoffs we have some very young teams that have a lot of talent in both conferences here you know you can look at phoenix in the west boston just clinched their spot in the east you can look at them even though they got jalen brown out right now kyle i guess let's start off with you i'm curious you know Which team, you know, or which teams do you think have the best young cores in the postseason that allow for them to have sustainable success in the years to come or even get even better in the years to come? Yeah, who's number one for you, Kyle?
3: (laughs) This is extremely tough. I'm not going to lie, because there are a lot of ways you could come at this. We were talking about it last night. I think if you if you have an MVP level player in your in your young core, I feel that is you can't get MVP level players. You just can't. I feel like that that. That with any other combination of players, man, I'm just really tempted to just put that at number one. Like, I mean, it, it, but but that also confines it to act like that's your whole team. I mean, players like if if you ask me, what would I prefer to have? I I think I'm gonna take the MVP player and then just go from there. So I I, I have to kind of put Edge Luca to number one. What do you all think about wow. that? Am I insane? I don't.
2: I, and are we saying young players like? Under twenty five years old, yeah. So that means he, 20... like Jokic wouldn't be included at age twenty six. Oh, but I feel like Denver... he should
0: be. I mean, they'll yeah. be on forever, and it it's not like he's getting old and well, so. Yeah,
2: and that's the funny thing with Jokic is he has a game built to play until he's forty if he
3: wants to. Well, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, you all are you all are moving the goalposts on me here. <laughs> he's
0: literally the MVP of the league this year, Kyle. Like I know this season,
3: <laughs> Jesus, that's not what I. I'm talking young players. Kevin's idea of who's young—I know. I'm just saying, like twenty-three is young, Kyle. Twenty-three-ish is what I was saying. Like you know, pretty anyway. Jokic has been around, but yeah. Well, based on my parameters, I had this has been a problem for me lately. My parameters have been off from everybody (laughs) else's, but yeah. I mean, (laughs) Luca. Lucas. So not just like a generational player. I mean, it's interesting, too, because some of these are really deep. Like Atlanta's young core is pretty deep. Who do you guys have? Number one,
2: Tarks. Kyle mentioned uh, Luca here as the sole reason you know for them being possibly the best young core of the current playoff teams. How about everybody else? on that team. Like, we know how great Luka is, but what about Jalen Brunson, 24 years old, could six-man-of-the-year candidate. They're rookies that they drafted, Josh Green, Tyrell Terry, Tyler Bay. What about the rest of this young Dallas core? Uh,
0: what's your assessment of them? I think, first off, what about them, right? If we're talking about in terms of the best young mm. cores in the league, it's pretty, pretty big drop-off from what Luka won to... I guess, would KP be in this conversation still, theoretically? How 25. I mean, depends well, that, on, the parameters. Based on you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's just tough. Like you're I just 25
3: like, over here. Yeah.
0: You watch the Mavs like in family, the <laughs> and the Nuggets have got. They have Jokic and they have Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, and just like the level of talent when you go two and three for versus the Mavs. We can talk about KP. It's been talked about to death at this point brunson after brunson there is no young core like i like josh Green, but he's proven nothing in the nba he doesn't really count yet terry is basically a g-league guy right now it's just like they got a bunch of veterans around luca it just makes me very jealous to watch the hawks or the nuggets and i'm like man there's just waves of young guys coming out with a little star level potential and after Luka, i just don't see it
3: in dallas what would happen if I took the claw machine, let's say the NBA was like, let's say this was like roller coaster tycoon and I could just reach down and pick up a player and move him over. I don't know if you guys ever played that game. That reference. Oh, yeah, I like, used
2: to play that back in the 2000s. That's a fun, d- fun game. You yeah. could
3: just drop people in random spots anyway. Yeah, I used to uh, play that,
2: that and The Sims. You ever play any of those games, Sharks? Or- I was more of a reader, actually. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm, I'm just a, a big dolt. Played yeah. The Sims for just hours a big upon adult. hours. Now, now I play Warzone all day. <laughs>
3: there's the there's the marquee. I was just gonna say, if you swap Luca and Trey, what would happen? What would ha- what would happen if you put Luca on that Hawks roster? Where would they where would they be in the East?
0: Oh my gosh, it'd be like a one seed. I think. <laughs> yeah,
3: you really? That think team so? is stacked. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: The only thing is the Luca the, the 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 only thing about Luca is he's got to give the ball up. Right? It's this chicken and the egg thing where Luca doesn't play with a ton of other ball handlers, so he gets to hold it a lot. But he's holding it all the time and it makes it hard for other guys. It's a Trey Young problem, too, to an extent, also. I was thinking the other way is like if I can get one player to put with Luke, that's what I'm thinking a lot about. I think the guy he needs is like a Devin Booker type. That's like that's the guy I think that would really make the Mavs because Booker, what makes Booker so awesome is the ability to play on and off the ball at an elite level. So he can play with Luca, get all his points cutting. Luke comes to the bench and he runs the offense for himself.
3: What about Beal? Could could the Mavs same thing? Get That's Beale? the kind of
0: guy I think the Mavs need is a guy like that. Of course, very, very, very hard to get them. But how do you think he would? How do you think Luca would
2: adapt if that player were brought into Dallas? Sharks? Do you see it as an easy transition for him to
0: play more off no, ball? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's even willing to do it right now. That's oh, why wow. I'm saying yes, the SG guy can play off ball. Like, so he's not even willing, not even willing to do it. It'd be very tough for him to do it. It's just tough, right? Because you haven't seen it yet, you know. Like Chris Stapps hasn't really been proven worthy of having the ball. It makes that's why the guy wanted for Luka was like uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I wouldn't mind Goran Dragic, an older European guy that he already has a relationship with that he's experienced playing with. I can make it a little easier for him. You know, so you mentioned Bogdanovich,
2: he doesn't fit into the young player category at twenty eight years old, even though he feels like a super young player. Good God. Uh, that You're as young it, as
3: you feel, Kevin O'Connor. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> well, everybody's young.
2: Clint Capella also just turned 27 this week. <laughs> he, Clint Capella feels like he's been in the league forever for me, but only just turned it 27 years old. It but, does. Because he came in so young and so raw and it's just gotten so much better. But you mentioned earlier, Kyle, this Atlanta roster. they yeah. like, I think you said how stacked they are. Okongru, 20. Reddish, 21. Herder, 22. Young, 22. John Collins, 23. DeAndre Hunter, 23 years old. Capella 27. (laughs) This is a young team with a heck of a lot of talent. Kyle, like with this Hawks roster, where do they stack up for you in terms of best young cores are in the playoffs?
3: Uh, it's it's more of a death by more cuts. I mean, like I feel like if I'm, I was thinking about this kind of long term. Like if I was the Hawks, which which of these guys am I most interested in keeping long term? For me, I mean Trey, obviously. I'm just wondering how nailed down do you think like Herder, Reddish, and A are going to be like in, you know two not years from much. now? Not very much. Yeah, could so be, the,
0: could be a piece to dangle and a yeah. trade for. I a I think star. Hunter's definitely separated himself from the other young guys in that list
3: for sure. And you know, and so for me uh, that that kind of factors in. Whereas if you look at like some of the other teams that were, I, I think Memphis is in kind of a similar situation where I feel like the the nailed downness of of some of those pieces is not maybe what we thought it would be a, a year ago. Um, I would say it still feels like it's like lacking one thing, you know, like they're, they're, they're a good team that has moved significantly in the right direction. Um, I, I'd be curious to see what that, what what do you all think that thing is? Or do you even agree with me? Like, I I mean, I, they kind of look like a first, you know, if things go well, second round team, I don't, I don't see them going much further than that or just further than that period. But it's, it's interesting what could be. I'm interested in what would be necessary to supplement this young core to like, take it to the next step. And also some b- broad thoughts about uh, young cores that I want to get to in a second. Let's get into your what,
0: broad thoughts. Yeah, get into them, Kyle.
3: What's the value of a young core? I'm kind of like, I, I, I really, I, I'm doubling and, and circling this a lot thinking about it. It's like, if you go back through the history of young cores, other than that, like they're cost effective, like you get a bunch of good players cheap for a while, like the marketability of them is really high. How many times in history has a young core hit the apex? It's like OKC got close there for a little bit. The only one the only young core that I can think of usually usually it's just when it comes time to these guys are leveled up to to play championship basketball, the contract stuff starts to become an issue and you can't sustain it. Like the only the only young core that has hit the highest level is like the Bulls, like in Golden the in the early State. 90s. I mean, yeah, the Gold State, State but they um I'm trying to think of what the ages were like in 2015. What Steph was, I mean, mid 20s, right? I think they were,
2: they were homegrown, though. You know, right? That's the yeah. important yeah. distinction. Yeah. I think we're going. That's going to be put to the test a little
3: bit this year. You
2: know, like we're seeing a, a homegrown core with the Sixers with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in the west we're seeing Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and Deandre Ayton and of course you make some additions around the edges Suns traded for Chris Paul Sixers traded for Tobias Harris and other guys but you know at, at its core those are some young guys that were drafted by those teams and then you have a team like the Brooklyn Nets that are mashed together you know they've only played under 10 games during the regular season and now they're going to potentially go all the way to the finals you have the Lakers in the western conference which was a young core That turned into LeBron James and Anthony Davis and to me, Kyle, that is the the benefit of a great young core is flexibility. You can either keep those young players, sign up to big rookie max extensions and try to compete for a championship with them, or you can flip those pieces for a proven star like the Lakers did with Anthony Davis, like other teams have in history. So to me, the value in the young core, you know, from a front office point of view. Is that flexibility to do anything?
0: Yeah, KOC. I like that point. I think that's where I came down on this young core thing. Is like, I think you look at it. You've got to have at least two All Star, if not All NBA players, on the same team. When we we'll talk about being a deep contending team, and just getting that second guy. Like here, the Mavericks. They thought KP was going to be that guy. It's not looking that way. And just having the two. You look at the Suns, right? They went from the eight seed last year with Booker, now to the two seed because they have two All Stars. So to me, like, love an MVP, but you got to have the MVP and one more all-star. And if you don't have that, that's what the young core, like you were saying, is like with the Hawks. At some point, a trade is going to have to come for sure. Like either someone develops into that all-star, you trade for them. That's what the Hawks have, the Mavs don't have right now, I would say. Well, And just to tie this back to the,
2: our conversation we had about the Warriors, this is part of where the mistake was with James Wiseman. You know, like we'll see how he pans out over the next 10 years. Um, But for Golden State, I think a big component of their plan here was to package whoever they draft potentially with the draft pick that they might get from Minnesota. I mean, that opportunity may not be there to make a trade. They may never come available. Bradley Beal might not be available. No star might be available for trade this offseason. There might not be a deal that makes sense. But to be in a position to make that move or compete to make that move uh, is of great benefit to the organization. It might not be there because of the mistake that was made for Wiseman, how he underwhelmed as a rookie. It doesn't matter. Like He might be great moving forward, but his value is diminished. But to have young players who are thriving and playing at a high level even if they're not keepers long term for the contractual reasons, Kyle, as you mentioned, I I still think that for the front offices, the benefit, like, you know, is significant um, to have a young core. And plus for fans, it's fun. It's fun to root for hope, you know.
3: So you basically just have to have a broad mindset about it, whether whether or not it's like, you know, because like you getting a, an immediate return in, in, in terms of winning, like you draft some guys and they turn into these MVP level players. We don't necessarily know that at the time. Like with OKC, mm. they did that. They were like, "Bang, bang, bang, we got, we have these level of players." But even they ran into it. So I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah, having having the long term, having the long term kind of mindset. I guess the Laker. Go, go ahead, Chuck.
0: I was gonna say I think the long term thing is key because like we were gonna do an exercise where he picked rookies on these playoff teams, but it's just hard to play rookies on playoff teams, right? Mm-hmm. And with the young core idea is like you give these t- guys time to grow in situations where. Like Wiseman's net rating shouldn't matter that much as a rookie. He's a number two pick, except he's playing with an MVP at 31, 32. So now it matters a lot, right? So if you're a young guy and you can't play off the ball, your development's going to be likely stymied by being on a playoff team. Whereas you go to a a quote unquote young core team, you can grow together and your first year or two doesn't really matter.
2: I think the, the other benefit touches on the New York Knicks here. They don't have the best young core. You know, they don't have the best young core. You can th- let's let's put Julius Randle aside at age 26 right now. He he's young, but, but for the sake of conversation, the under 25 year old guys: Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, Frank Ntilikina, my guy, <laughs> Emmanuel quickly. I love it. Stick with Ke- it, Kevin Knox and RJ Barrett. Still super young. He's the youngest guy on the Knicks. I think if you can pro-
3: rent a car, you're not in this conversation. That's well, my opinion. Yeah. So I
0: see. See, see, I disagree. I feel like. <laughs> I feel like five years out as far as you can go. So if you're going to be elite in five years, still realistically, I think you're part of the, Like, to me, Randall's part of a young core. Because he's yeah. your m- franchise guy for the next five years. So is Jokic. So I'm is not, Embiid and Simmons.
3: I'm not fighting you guys on this anymore. It's whatever. <laughs> what? No, stand your ground. Well, stand well, your ground.
2: Well, whether Randall's in it or not, the one benefit of having a nice young core that's competitive and shows promise is simply that. It's like, it can change perception of your organization. Like if the Knicks I've said, I said this on New York, New York this week when I I went on and I said, even if the Knicks didn't make the play in tournament, this season could have been a success for them because of the development of the young guys and how much promise Randall showed how good RJ Barrett looked Emmanuel quickly coming off the bench and being a spark plug, just simply having good young players who are competitive can make your organization look competent and suddenly look like a free agent destination. So I mean I I think the benefits aren't always direct, you know, in terms of competing for championships, but it can at least lead to the perception that can lead to moves or trades or opportunities that can put you in a position to do that. And for the Knicks, that's going to be really the next step. I mean, with their youth right now, they're clearly, you know, they could win a first round series against the Hawks. Yeah. What's the next step for them to
0: be more than just a fun playoff team like what, what's next for the Knicks what's missing there I got I, the guy I've been thinking about a lot for the free agency coming up and I think his reputation around the league is still catching up for some fans is DeMar DeRozan oh. he's like one of the only all star playables who'll be free this summer and he's basically playing like a point guard in San Antonio I feel like if you could sign DeRozan to the Knicks and the way Julius can shoot now the way RJ is shooting now Plug the Rosen at point guard. You have a huge team. Protect them on defense. Mm. And now you have two legit all stars. Now you're intrigued. really talking. I'm intrigued.
2: Oh I yeah, like that. it's
3: it's 100. The the player type that we are describing an interchangeable wing who can who can run pick and roll and create, who can hit open threes, who can defend. That is one of the most valuable player types that you can get. And I think in the it, it's kind of will carry over to some of the draft conversation. I think that we're gonna have. I think DeRozan is an over, over the shoulder bullseye, more dark metaphors for me. I don't know why that keeps going, but I I think that he is like exactly, and he doesn't get enough credit for, for his growth in that way. How much he's changed his game for sure. He's, he is a template for other players who come into the league with those challenges and he's just quietly gotten better year after year. I think that that's, Another thing on the Knicks, too, is that you have Mitchell Robinson just kind of sitting over there quietly as this asset that hasn't on a, you know, a cost effective one, too, that hasn't been a part of this thing. And and it's like I my opinion on on their young core, even in the last like nine months, like if you if you just said like it quickly, Mitchell Robinson has like changed dramatically. And I think if you put. I don't know what you what you would have to move around to bring in a DeRozan, you know, money wise. What's their salary? What, what's they have their a cap, ton of cap space? space? So they're going to the be thing. yeah, they
0: could just sign him out right yeah. this summer.
3: Yeah, so that would be I think that would help a whole lot. Yeah, that'd be that's really interesting. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I feel like on the surface people would see like so let's just say DeRozan went to the Knicks, people would laugh at it and say, "Oh, DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan." But the way he's evolved as a playmaker, the skills mm-hmm. are, don't overlap I think the past version of DeMar DeRozan, you'd see an overlap in terms of what each player does, but the playmaker that he's evolved into his last year with Toronto, and especially ever since he got to the Spurs. I mean, that's been remarkable. I, I think also statistically he has been one of, if not the league's most efficient isolation shot creator, both as a scorer and passing out of those situations. He has been a dominant force in San Antonio and it's just gone overlooked cuz it's the spurs they're not on national tv not paying a lot of attention to them but derozan has turned himself into a player and it's one of the reasons why i i, I believe san antonio wasn't super eager to move him cuz they they're fine with keeping him too as part of a, a older guy to help facilitate their young you know developing core too
3: derozan is yeah i mean he's 84th percentile in pick and roll this year so 1.02 ppp and in isolation, he's in the 96 percentile. I mean, mm. if you can get a player who can do those two things and defend, yeah, that's that's pretty.
0: Well, I don't know about the the defense part; still never really got there. But on the Knicks, you can leverage the skills of yes. the
3: rest of your roster,
0: and that's the thing too about the Knicks. Like, who's their shooting coach? He needs some publicity. Like, what the heck? It's probably they did Kenny with Randall Payne. and Barrett. Yeah,
3: Kenny it's probably Payne. Payne. I'd say. <laughs>
0: Uh, <laughs> what Randall and Barrett like one of those shooters this year has been unbelievable I mean I'm still shocked they both shoot so well that's something you don't see hardly ever can we bring that guy to the Sixers so he can
2: help out Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybul? because the Philadelphia 76ers also have an unbelievable young core even factoring out Joel Embiid who's 27 years old now Thybul at 24 Ben Simmons at 24 Shake Milton at 24 Texas guy Charks Cork Maz Aznajo Tyrese, Ma- Tyrese Maxey Paul Reed. They have a number of quality young players. Obviously, Simmons and Thibel being higher profile ones, but the Sixers core goes a little deeper than just the the primary names that we talk about on a day-to-day basis.
3: It definitely does. What What do you guys think the, the template is for Maxi to transition from this sort of second unit come in and, and score? Because it seems like a transition needs to happen for him. You see this a lot with scoring players. We alluded to it earlier with with Tatum, we talked about it. With it, it's a likely path for score first players who come into the NBA. You need to learn how to share. Is there a template for a player at the highest level for Maxi to follow for him to level up to? Like what what is his actual ceiling? Um, what do you all think?
0: It's got to be Kyle Lowry, right, Sharks? Interesting. I mean, I think first off he needs to be more of an off the ball player, right? It's a little different for him because they've already got a one in Philly. They got Bet Simmons and Embiid. Maxi still needs the ball in his hands. If he wants to level up, he's got to become a good spot-up shooter. I'm looking at the numbers. He shot um, 30% from three on like 1.7 attempts, right? It's hard to play with Simmons and Embiid. That's what you're doing. That's, I think, for him, the first thing. For a younger guy in a smaller role, it's three-point shooting. You yeah. got to have that to spread the floor for your stars. And then you grow your game from there.
3: And the shooting is going to maximize the things, maximize the things that he does really well. Oh, that was good. Uh, oh, that was good. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, no, I mean, that's his his middle game has always been his thing. So the better shooter he becomes, it's just going to force those things to to level up too.
0: Yeah, and Kyle, I kind of think the middle game means like it's more likely to become a good shooter, right? I feel like that says he has the ability, he has the touch to expand his range.
2: It's It's pretty clear to me with what the Sixers have done or tried to do. Uh, in the past year since Sarah Mori took over is that they are looking for that shot creator, the more traditional shot creator on the perimeter. They draft Tyrese Maxey. They go hard trying to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. doesn't work out. They're in conversations for Kyle Lowry. It doesn't work out. And then they get George Hill, a veteran. You know, you'd love to see Maxey grow into a role like that someday. But it's very apparent to me that regardless of, you know, how you know your subjective feelings might be about Ben Simmons and that core and what they can do together? It's it's apparent that that's what they want. And with Maxi, will he grow into that over the next four to five years? Assuming you keep Ben Simmons with Joel Embiid over this, you know, next run here, Maxi, can he grow into that? Like Kyle, you mentioned, what does he need to do? Do you see that potential for him in the short term to become what they need? From a young perimeter shot creator,
3: can't well. I mean, you you alluded to it. Chark said about the touch. Is it a reflection of like the shooting improving? I mean, he's he's always kind of been treading this line of of needing to just get over that hump and to become a dependable shooter. It was like at Kentucky, we trusted him generally, but it wasn't like foolproof. If he was open for three, and then you you level up again. It's in within like basically a year's time, um, that do Do I think that he can do it? For me, I'm not. I'm less sure about the playmaking part of it than I am the shooting part of it. Like, I do think that he could become a good shooter. Um, it m- might take some time. I mean, it might be something that goes beyond his rookie contract before he, like, fully materializes as a player in that sense. But in terms of, like, you were talking about Maury, like, filling out the roster, I was just thinking about <laughs> it's just amazing how quickly and obvious... It, it's amazing how obvious their issues were and how quickly he addressed them. Like. Have you all seen Mad Men? You all watch that show? No, nope, never watched it. Yeah, A little bit. Okay, well, there's a scene where they're decorating their house, and Don Draper comes in the room for, like, 30 seconds, and she's shown him this new couch, and he's like, she's like, what do you think with the layout of the room? And this is an interior decorator. He walks in for just a few seconds, and he was like, move the couch here, move the lamp here. And the interior decorator stood there for a second and was like, he's right. That's, like, exactly what happened with the Sixers. Maury <laughs> walked in the room, and he was just like, move the couch there, move the lamp there. And I don't know. I mean, with, with Maxi, if if it happens with the Sixers, if he can improve the, if he can improve the, uh, they're kind of doing it by committee here too, because you know Seth Curry is kind of filling that role a little bit too. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm less confident about the playmaking than I am the scoring. He could end up becoming one of these great scores.
0: My guess would be Maxi is helps the most on a trade. Would be my like it was going to be what Simmons and Maxi for Harden, right? It was like the baseline of that trade. It didn't happen. That'd be my uh, suspicion of, like, what ends up happening there.
2: So we briefly mentioned the Nuggets in passing earlier. Let's talk about them. Yeah, let's talk about them. that they seem to be your number one young Yes, boys, for sure. So
0: okay. I mean, you, you know, we talk about guys who don't seem that old. Aaron Gordon's 25. Yeah. Feels like he's been in the league for, like, a decade, you know? He has. And he's your fourth, <laughs> theoretically, he's your fourth best player. Jokic, Murray, Porter, Gordon. Though I mean, obviously Murray's hurt right now, but I think going forward... This team has all the pieces. Like, my big thing for the Nuggets is I wonder how long they can keep it together more than anything. It feels kind of OKC-ish to me, whereas Porter keeps getting better and better. You see when Murray goes out, Porter takes the next step forward. Can that be sustainable over a three-, four-year window? I don't know. Charks, are you surprised Michael Porter Jr. has been this great this soon? No, I mean, I, obviously the health stuff aside, like a six foot ten guy who can shoot as well as he can. I think the playing off the ball stuff isn't super impressive. That's the thing that's really shocked me watching him is like he moved from an on ball guy to someone who cuts and shoots and can score off other guys. Like that's so rare for a young player to have that in this bag already.
3: He's in. A, he's in the perfect. We talked about this with Bill the other day. Yeah, that like it's like. It's a perfect situation for him because he his his worst impulses weren't enabled. You know, it's kind of that that can really makes a huge difference when guys are drafted. I for me, the question is, I I remember you and I talking about Murray Murray and Porter that dynamic like like a year ago, I guess, just like what that was going to be like, and it seemed more likely maybe that maybe Porter could get. I I thought it was more likely that Porter could get moved. It's kind of like shifting. Do you do you think that that has shifted now to the point where like? more likely that murray could get moved to, for them to find a piece that fits or has there been shift on that front what do you all think or do they hang on to them
2: i think that you might hang on to both of them yeah
0: if you can yeah, yeah. for sure yeah,
2: yeah if you, i mean like i mean i guess you could like if, assuming murray would want to resign when this next contract is up you'll have the restricted rights to michael porter jr so they could keep it together if they. The think uh, is if they want to stay about- we're talking about but, hypotheticals okay, see, here. You yeah. got
0: to pay all these guys. Denver's never yeah. really paid the luxury tax. This team is about to get really expensive because they're really, really good. To me, the number one by a mile in these young core rankings, I think.
2: Who who would be next up in your core rankings, Sharks? Is, is there a team that's clearly number two or is it kind of blended together?
0: Because I, I was looking at more over the next five. I guess Philly, if you don't count Embiid, but I would still put Philly at two with Embiid and Simmons and the ability to move one of those guys down the road.
2: Kyle, we haven't mentioned two teams here. Uh, I mentioned them when I intro this whole topic: Phoenix and Boston. Yeah, with with Phoenix guys under twenty five years old. So this isn't counting Cameron Johnson. Mikkel Burgess is twenty four. Devin Booker's twenty four. DeAndre Ayton is twenty two. And then you have Tyshawn Alexander and Jalen Smith, who are both twenty two and twenty one, respectively. For the Celtics, under twenty five years old. Jalen Brown is still only twenty four years old. Yeah. Time Lord Robert Williams is twenty three. Tatum is 23. Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith, both rookies under 25 years old. Grant Williams is 22. Romeo Lake- Lankford is 21. Obviously, Tatum and Brown being the key guys for Boston. Aiton and Booker being the key guys for Phoenix. To me, I look at those two teams. If you're counting out the Jokic from Denver, to me, like I look at those two teams and have them on top of my list. Because we said it earlier, the hardest thing to find is that second guy. There isn't that second guy for the Dallas Mavericks. Boston has two of them and Tatum and Brown, and Phoenix has one of them and Booker. And Ayton is turning himself into a really nice two way player. Uh, so I feel like I'd have Bright Boston Future Suns
0: KOC bring yes, it
3: back, that, yes,
2: <laughs> right now. Uh, um, yeah, we gotta do that, Kyle. If they make the finals,
3: we'll we do, gotta it. do that. We'll fly it, yeah. to LA. We'll do it. <laughs> no, I mean, um, yeah, it's. That that's an interesting thing. I, yeah, I think what struck me watching Boston last night was just how many like of those like mid to late first round dudes that they just kind of have that you're unsure about. Like, you know, Langford was out there, and then I think um, I I think I saw Ojale for a little bit, um, but and and then Pritchard. So, but it, but if you think about the top, it's like would I rather have would I rather have Tatum or Tatum Brown and um, who would be the third guy there? Time I'm, Lord. Time Lord for sure. Uh, versus, you know, Booker, Bridges, Aiton. That's tough. Um, Who would win that three-on-three game would be an interesting question, too. I don't know. If we did the FIBA style, uh, I'd go with Boston, probably. But maybe. I don't know. That's a good question.
0: Well, and you think, too, it's like what we were talking about with Tatum earlier with the other young guys in Boston. If they had a Chris Paul on their team, they'd probably look a lot better, too, just because they would have got to make them better, especially like a Smith and a Time Ward would probably look better on a different team.
2: In, in bringing that leadership, um, Charks, is there a rookie in this year's playoffs that you think has the highest likelihood of make, impacting a game or a series or potentially swinging things for for a
0: roster? I don't know about like highest impact, but I think Smith is a guy. He was impressive in that playing game to me. I feel like he could be an important part of their future because it gives them that pure spot up shooter to play off Tatum and Brown. And he also can move pretty well. He has decent size. So it's just that combination. I think he's a guy I would watch a lot for Boston going forward as a potential really important piece for that team. I mean, I don't know how much impact against the Nets. Like they're about to go up against the Death Star <laughs> in this next round. But I think he's a key guy for their future.
2: How about you, Kyle? Is there anybody who comes to mind?
0: Uh,
3: I I wanted to make a comment really quick, and we we don't have to circle back for for a long time. But I wanted to comment on Josh Green really quick. That like he's an interesting case for me because, and maybe I'm I'm somebody who's just been on Josh Green Island for for quite some time. There's really nobody else with me on this island other than oh, I'm like, a
0: big Josh Green guy. But Bri- Brian, I love Sh- Josh Green.
3: Brian Schroeder from Draft Twitter. He and I have bit, had a, a condo there for a while, but. Um, (laughs) I praise that pick at the time, you know, I I think it's just really tough when you you spoke to it. It's that like when you're playing cold and you come out and if you watch a lot, I was kind of just going back through a lot of his recent game tape last night. And it's like, he's just off ball standing a lot. And that's a, that it's really hard to have an impact if you're his type of player. And I was thinking about a transition that I think that he could make and maybe should make to up his value. He doesn't have, like, super long arms. I don't think of him as, like, a springy, lanky guy who can, like, mirror... How long are his arms? Are they super six long? 6'10". Yes, okay, six well... Ten wingspan. Uh, okay, that's pretty long. But I, I, I wasn't... I don't think of him as... What what, I, what, I'm trying to say is I see him as somebody that could maybe benefit from, like, beefing up in that... Brace Yourself, KLC, that Bruce Brown mold where he gets a little bit oh, more of a solid... I like that. Because he has the shoulders for it. I think that he could beef up and become the kind of guy that, like, you know, tags rollers and kind of does like he can switch and just stifle downhill movement on the defensive end of the ball and then hit open threes. Cause I don't see him more as like the, the other type, like the, the wiry, uh, stay with like perimeter, you know, big, bigger scores type of guy. Like he's, he's more the PJ Tucker type. You know, PJ Tucker kind of popularized that role. I think just the beefy wing who can hit open threes type of thing.
2: Well, let's, um, let's talk about the 2020 draft here. It, it kind of, pivot from there to this because with the 2020 draft we had some hits we had some misses and some guys it's, it's too early to tell and i think with josh green he's one of those types kyle where his potential he hasn't had opportunity he's still too young and raw right now in dallas but he can still turn into the type of player that you're imagining and be a valuable player for the mavericks He might not make an impact now in this playoff run but i still like josh green long term too but with that said you know, a whole year to evaluate these young players gives us a whole lot more intel about what we missed and what we hit. Um, so let's discuss some of our biggest oversights from the 2020 NBA draft. Uh, do either of you guys want to start off with what number one thing that you
0: feel like you might have overlooked in 2020? I'll go. Um, I just think kind of going off what Kyle was saying about Josh Green is that he just got to have a confident three-point shot. Didn't help plan for Rick Carlisle at all with that stuff. But I just look at like, if a young guy doesn't come in as a confident shooter, it's so hard, especially outside of the lottery to get into that rotation. I mean, I think that's something I've always recognized, but it just got beat home for me even more this year. You look at the guys who outperformed their draft slots early. Emmanuel quickly, Desmond Bain. Those are two guys I wasn't too high on, but it's like, those guys are such good shooters. It kind of makes the rest of their skill set it just makes it work. And like they can build on that from there. And for me, I'm like, I think probably this year, if I, it's like, I think Josh Green could be a good shooter in time. He has some sort of potential. But if I know you can be a great shooter, I got to move you up, especially after like number 10, 12, 13. Is like those guys who are great shooters right away are going to have value right away. They're going to have long careers in the league. And I think I had like quickly in Bain in the 30s. And that was just way too low because I was like, oh, they're kind of shooting specialists, but who cares, you know? the league is now that's so important.
3: For me I had two things. The first thing is that like I think that like past bias in like the late high school and college year, I think that I have let that um swing me in term and, and they're kind of like off the court kind of quasi role acceptance types type things. like I did this with RJ. I've lived to regret it. I got really mad at RJ towards towards the end of high school and then at Duke and it made me like really kind of put him in a hole that was probably a little unfair uh i but in terms of this was a, i was joking with you all there are two types there's the like i was wrong i missed this and there was also i was right i should have st- stuck to my guns um uh, for me like jade mcdaniels was a guy Ooh. that i saw a lot of that stuff i remember talking about with you guys and i still didn't pull the trigger and for me i guess and for me he's a combination of both of those it's like i i was a little like put off by some of the things that I saw at federal way. And then at Washington and I was like, I just don't know. And then like the shift happened and I was, I've just gone over, you know, to the moon, like in terms of my idea of his potential, there's a guy like that in this upcoming draft that I'm a little shaky on. And that's Jalen green, um, who I've, I've kind of hesitated to, to get on board. Um, I'm not sure how, where I'm going to land with that, but, um, yeah. And, for me also the, the real quick one, the other one is I'm way, way less likely to use a first rounder on a springy disruptive four who has limited kind of ball skills. Um, cause I feel like those cakes take a little longer to bake. Um, for me in this draft, that guy would be like Isaiah Jackson. I'd be a little hesitant and I love Isaiah Jackson. So, um, I don't know, like Montrez Harrell players, even Nerland's took a little while for him to kind of round into what he is now
2: it, with Jalen green, Kyle. Um, do you still consider him a top three four prospect? Or are you even iffy on that a bit?
3: No, I think he's in that range. I just think that he has he has a lot of um but I guess there's really nowhere for you to go because I wouldn't there's no scenario where I'd put him ahead of those three guys. You could argue you could argue Suggs Green. I think and people will. I mean, but um That would be one of the big arguments of this draft. Could, sure. could you could you argue Kaminga over Green? Could I? I I mean, uh, I, I I think I'm a little higher on Green than Kaminga. I mean, like okay. I, I think Green's upside is is high, but it's also I don't want to launch into like a full blown Jalen Green discussion, but um, I mean he has star upside. It's just he he also has like great scorer uh who hovers in that like I don't know. Um we've talked about some there are some comps that aren't so great about him. Like he, and he could hover in that like that Zach Levine is the comp that people say a lot on him where it could take some time. Um, I don't know what, what do y'all think?
2: Yeah. I mean, he's somebody that could take some time and that's the challenge um, is projecting five, six, seven years into the future. It's so hard to do guys get better out of nowhere. We talked about this earlier in the pod with Julius Randall, like, to age 26 years old, becoming a good shooter, becoming a great defensive player, becoming a better playmaker, like some guy development is not linear. And for me, I think in last year's draft, I overrated some distant potential, like the idea of what a guy could be rather than what they are today and projecting short term. Uh, like with Killian Hayes, having him ranked number one, that was a silly thing to do. I mean, I'd still love Killian Hayes as a prospect. I'd still have him ranked top five, top six in a redraft today. However, LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards are very clearly better at this younger stage of their career, and it's much easier to project them being successful over the next three to four years and beyond because of that. So with Hayes, a lot of it is more of a distant theoretical projection of what he could be more so than what's rooted in reality. On um, the, the other side of that is that the reality of the league today is that unless you are a, a superstar level big the odds are is that you are a replaceable player. And mm. with James Wiseman, I had him, I think, ranked seventh or eighth, which is not high by any means. But a big part of me wishes I had him ranked even lower than that, just because of the sheer fact of what the value of bigs is. Like, I should not have had Tyrese Halliburton ranked behind James Wiseman. It was a mistake. And I think accepting and embracing just where the league is today and, and what it could become um, – Wiseman is just not the player that should have been drafted that highly. And I'm sure Golden State feels that way more than anybody else. Um, but he could turn into a, a good player in the long term. But at the, with this point in the draft, I, I'm not so sure that that was the wise thing to do on my end. Oh, my rankings so, or, was, it, or for the was, not,
3: was not wise, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> any any other lasting thoughts on the 2020 draft, you guys?
3: Yeah, another guy. In, uh, really quick, another guy in that like four role, the springy, you know, disruptive four role uh, is is Greg Brown. Greg Brown and Isaiah Jackson, both of those guys fit that role for me. I would hesitate to to. I don't know. I'm not in the same place that I was in the past. It's I would don't know that I'd have the stomach to do it.
0: Sharks. Uh, Greg Brown, first round pick. We'll talk about Kai Jones next next
2: time. Ooh, I'm a, that's, I'm a, the, big, guy that's Jones, the guy I'm, we got to talk about. I'm a, I'm a big Jones fan, and that next time will be on locker room. Because for the NBA playoffs, the Ringer NBA University show that we've been doing since January, it's been awesome doing this, but we will not be recording pods on the Ringer NBA show feed during the playoffs. We will be doing live shows on the locker room app. Two added to be determined schedule. It might be different week to week. It might be the same day. We're not totally sure yet, but we'll announce that on our own respective Twitter feeds and on any at ringer feed on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you'll be able to get that news there. But yeah, guys, the show's been a heck of a lot of fun. Doing this with you every other Wednesday uh, during this NBA season, I look forward to talking some draft and some playoffs on locker room with you guys.
3: There's nothing respective about or respectable about my Twitter feed, but go ahead. Yes, I've enjoyed the show a lot too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, locker room's gonna be fun. a lot of fun. Like,
2: yeah, the good part like on locker room is we're gonna be able to interact with people live while recording, take questions and all that. So uh, I- I'm pumped for it. I-, I think it'll be a good time
3: roast KOC for the things he hasn't seen or like the things he doesn't do, like chew gum or, you know, or or I'm not a soda fan either
2: for that matter. Well, That's good. I mean, soda
3: is is really not good at all. So I'm, I'm with you on that, but uh, anyway, (laughs)
0: Hopefully,
2: I don't have any soda sponsors for the show. (laughs) I
0: have to get someone else to do the read. Yeah,
3: I maybe shouldn't have said that. KOC's got
0: too many to keep track of, you know, when you're a big media guy like that. Yeah, and I I love doing it. I'm glad I come back for the last one of the season. It's really fun to do this stuff. Appreciate it. Charks, it was awesome having you
3: on today, man. It was. Yeah, I bounced out of bed this morning, basically, because I was like, all right, Charks is back. Yeah,
0: Takes, takes, takes. Let's do it. Well, we're looking forward
2: to the next show at a to-be-determined date on Locker Room. We'll let you guys know on our Twitter feeds and at Ringer. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for producing today's episode of Ringer NBA University and for producing all season long. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the Ringer NBA show wherever you get your podcast feeds and let a friend know about it if you love the show. Thank you again. Have a good rest of your day.
3: Basketball is very good.